All right. Hello and welcome to episode 126. My name is Josh. Uh, this is the Together BHA podcast, as always, currently being streamed live on Twitch as we uh, pop out of the game literally like full time, like 10 minutes ago. Uh, and to top it, to start off the show, uh, we've had somebody uh, come into come into the chat here. Rich Freed asking the important questions uh, and also making a statement that I was just about to lead off the pack the podcast with myself. Uh, regardless of the result today, uh, which was not the best in the world um, in terms of the, the the game itself, it wasn't exactly exciting, um, but a clean sheet was a big plus um not bad at all uh that was the first comment in the chat as well so i'm no i'm not the only one thinking it um we'll get to that question about points uh to be safe rich here shortly as well um but to cover some things that happened in the week uh honestly not a great deal more more so the uh the the results that went our way uh throughout the premier league in the in the games prior to us playing on a monday uh, never my favorite thing in the world Simply because I I don't like having to uh, to wait and and play late on, but at the same time you do have the the beauty um, of being able to watch all the results unfold around you. Um, and we're officially at that point in the season now where I am celebrating uh, other teams' goals like it's ours. Uh, Adama Traore's absolute worldie um, at the end of the game on Friday had me out of my seat. I was going nuts. Um, that was a big result for us and a big result for Fulham. Uh, that was one of those games that they should have had earmarked as a possible win. Uh, Wolves have, have been really poor. Um, their away form is is dire. Um, just in general, that you know, I think that was their first win since the beginning of February in general. Um, I think that was their last win. It was away at Southampton. Um, so for them to go to Fulham and get that win late was was a huge result for Wolves too, really, but they're not exactly in danger. Um, and, you know, I think we're now, I think we are about 10 games in um, and, and Brighton have still never won on a Monday uh, in the Premier League. Uh, Rich also popped in with that, that one too. And, and it's a good stat because it's something that it's one of those ones. And I think we've, I think out of the 10 I think it's nine games now we've played on a Monday and we've drew seven and lost two, um, which is nuts because, you know, it just goes to show we are becoming serious draw specialists. Uh, I don't think there's a single team in the division that has drew more games than us now. Uh, I think we went above Fulham today. We did uh, with 12 draws for the season so far. Um, And, you know, it, it felt like the most Carlo Ancelotti game in the world today. The, the starting 11 for the Albion, I had no problem with. Uh, I, I don't think many people would have been too upset looking at the starting 11. Um, I think we were really unfortunate to have been jipped the way we were against Manchester United. Um, so, you know, I don't think anybody can be too upset that that Potter decided, you know, we've we've won two of our last three. The last one was an absolute joke. So let's roll it again um, and, and see how we can go. Adam Webster back on the bench was a big boost for us. Um, you know, he's got an extra week now. I'm looking at the calendar. Yeah, so we now don't play again for another eight days. Um, I think that's a great help for Webster. Um, not so much a great help for the Albion. I feel like we struggle um, when there's long gaps between games. And that's one of those things that it's it's funny because we'll go from playing two or three games in the space of four weeks 
Um, and then we'll go on to, to, to be playing, you know, just four or five games in a matter of two weeks. Um, so it's one of those things that's really strange to, it's a weird period of the season um, where people are trying to, you know, get things put together and, and mash through the games that they need to. And then all of a sudden we'll hit May and it will come thick and fast. So Everton away, uh, Everton at home on a, on a Monday night was not exactly promising to be the greatest game in the world. Um, wasn't, didn't really kind of have the earmarks of an instant classic, but the lineup was good. I was happy with the lineup. I think everybody was happy with the lineup. Um, and, and, you know, looking at the base stats, there's nothing on here that scares you in terms of the way we played today. It, it feels, in fact, do you know what? It is a bit misleading because the stats today are far more complementary of us than I think the reality was when you watch it on a basic eye test, right? Um, I think we, you know, we ended the day with 23 shots, three on target, 10 blocked, 10 off target. Um, Lalana, Trossard, Moda, Welbeck, Mopai, all of them had plenty of shots. Uh, it's not like they were hurting uh, for, for taking shots on target um, or just shots in general. Uh, they were all over it. Um, and it was it was strange to see the stats being so kind of overly positive in our, in our position because there wasn't a great deal of times that I felt like we were... It's not like those games this season where you've gone, how have we not won that? For me, today was like quite clear why we didn't win it against Everton and we just didn't create enough guilt-edged chances. Um, I felt that we were just... There was that the classic all the way to the final ball piece and we never got it quite got there. Um, and, you know, there was maybe one moment um, where Welbeck had the ball uh, from a kind of cross uh, that kind of landed at his feet and he went for that weird scissor kick thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a weird one. Um, and, you know, I think that those shots are far more complimentary than the actual result, you know, leads us to believe. 55% possession uh, pretty much sounds about right. Honestly, it, it felt like we had a lot more possession than that. 81% uh, pass success rate, uh, you know, and when you look at the, you know, the top passes um, in terms of the entire the entire game itself, uh it was insane um, the amount of people that were, it was basically just all centre-halves. Uh, Lewis Dunk, Ben White, Joel Veltman, Adam Alana and Basuma um, were the ones that we, you know, just had all the passes in the world. And, and when you're passing around like that, it's not hard to get bad passes. Um, 17 tackles to their seven was also a big one. Uh, you know, our pass success rate, uh, our tackle success rate was mental. Uh, and Basuma was, was the main man there as well. I'll get to the individuals um, in a minute, but Basuma was superb today. We had 10 corners to their three. Um, and this is a big one. Uh, we had plenty of set pieces today and we we failed to capitalize on any of them again. Um, it's something that I brought up in the podcast a couple of times this season. Uh, if you're having 10 corners and four free kicks in dangerous areas in a game, you, you have to be making something big out of one of them at least if not scoring uh from that kind of you know that amount of opportunities um to me i think that 
if you're going to have that amount of set pieces, I understand that we don't have the most dangerous men at set pieces in terms of, you know, Lewis Dunk is pretty much the only one uh, that's going flying into to set pieces with his head these days with Webster currently out and Ben White is not the biggest aerial threat. But, you know, we we played, we had 10 corners today and one of them was, was kind of on the ground or different. Uh, we tried nine corners and not a single one of them caused a great deal of bother. Um, and I think that's something we we really need to work on um, or at least adapt because when Webster was in and we kind of turned that corner on being really shit with set pieces, um, I think that we we got there. It kind of, we turned a corner in the new year. We were, you know, we were a laughing stock with our set piece defending uh, yesterday, you know, in the last, in 2020 in general. Um, so for us to turn around and, and turn it around in general and look a lot better at set pieces was great, but we're still not converting them offensively. Um, you know, I saw an absolute thunder bastard of a strike from Bissouma uh, a couple of days ago on Twitter when he was playing at Lille. Um, and somebody else in the chat here has just said, maybe it's time to change up our free kick takers. Um, I would love to see Bissouma start taking some free kicks on the edge of the box. At this point, what is there to lose? Um, we're not scoring free kicks and set pieces often enough. We may as well give it a change up and see if you know other people can start smashing the ball. Um, in general, though, I still like the system, uh, that kind of WM style that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, uh, that split strikers um, that, that Rich also pointed out here in the chat as well. Uh, you know, we've got Welbeck and Mopai happy to drift out wide. I think that's really great. It gives the wingbacks a ton of uh, protection, especially when neither of them are actually wingbacks um, and gives us an opportunity to, you know, stretch the play a fair bit. The problem, I think, is that we're still lacking um, that that penetration from a from a really dangerous striker. Um, I think that, you know, I know I've seen a lot lately of people saying, you know, we simply have to sign Welbeck to another year's contract. And and I'm not against it, uh, but I'm also not overly whelmed, overwhelmed by his performance this season in general. Um, you know, I, I think he was, there was a couple of times today where I think that Welbeck should have done a lot better than he did. Um in terms of the players themselves, you know, some of them really stood out today defensively. Um, you know, Ben White and Lewis Dunk were were excellent. They they didn't have a great deal to do, but they were good. Um, you know, Ben White, three interceptions, led the team with interceptions, four clearances. So only Donkey had more with six. Um, he also had a block shot, uh, Lewis Dunk, of course. And and you know, there was Ooh, wrong button. Um, there was a lot. To, there was a lot to be happy about in terms of defensively. Uh, you know, I felt there was only a real, really one moment where I about crapped my pants today, and that was uh, Iwobi's shot, and that was in the 90th minute. Um, prior to that, there was nothing really that frightened me. Richarlison has caused us all sorts of problems in the past, and we shut him down effectively. Yeri Mina has caused us problems a lot on set pieces in the past, and we shut them down effectively, uh, especially with Sigurdsson there, who is you know just as good as Pascal Gross on, on set pieces. Um, Bissouma today was a monster. Uh, five total tackles, led the team in tackles, three clearances, only the one foul, um, which is a big, you know, that's a big part of his game. Um, I think that's a huge, 
Something for Basuma to continue to working on is its discipline. And I know I've seen people in the papers um, and on, you know, Sky and other stuff like that um, saying, you know, if they're go- if he's going to go to a big team, he's got to get better with his discipline. And, you know, I think today was a great example of showing exactly how far he's come just in the last year alone. I think he's came miles just since coming under Potter. But in general, you know, I think he's improved massively. Um that five tackles, interceptions, he's leading the way um, all the way through. He looked desperate to get a goal today. Uh, he had three shots as well today. Um, you know, he he was up there with with the, with the best of them in terms of taking those shots. He had two key passes today, which is passes leading to shots. Uh, only Mopai and, and Adam Lalana had more. Um, he had three successful dribbles, uh, which was the joint most along with Trossard. Um, and he also won a foul as well, right? So he was he was very happy, you know, distributing the ball, keeping hold of the ball, and generally it's just being dangerous as hell. Uh, his long ball d- distribution is superb as well. He tried three uh, solid long balls and was accurate on every single one of them. Uh, only Lewis Dunk really had a better rate where <laughs> he managed 14 long balls and 11 were spot on. Um Again, Lewis Dunk didn't have a lot to do today defensively, uh, but he did a really good job at the back in terms of distributing that ball out. Bob Sanchez uh, worried us all for a little minute there. Uh, About, what, 20 minutes in, I think it was, there was a really poor pass back um, that kind of sent him... In fact, I'm not even going to blame the pass back because his first touch was shocking. Uh, Sanchez's first touch was real poor with his left foot. Um, and, and left him scrambling. Uh, Richarlison was onto it like an absolute whippet uh, and caused him a bit of problems. But, you know, he was he was not too bad. He got it away. And and I think that during halftime, they took a look at him and, and you know, I think the physios and looked at him and was like, yeah, it's just an impact. He'll be fine. Uh, put some ice on it and sent him out in the second half. And to be honest, it's not like he had anything to do, was it? <laughs> uh, in that second half, you know there was there was nothing going on. Um, I don't I don't believe he had a single shot on target to uh, save. Let me check because I'm pretty sure he didn't. Uh, he had oh he did have one shot on target. Hamas Rodriguez had a shot that was on target. Uh, that was the one that was that came through and it was kind of really 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 narrow. Uh, where he just kind of palmed it wide for a corner. Um, but there was never really a point in time there where I worried that it was somehow going to find its way through. Um, you know, the six foot five monster that we have in goal at this point, uh, I can't see him being beaten at his near post like that ever. So that wasn't too much of a worry. In terms of, you know, disappointments, uh, I think Danny Welbeck was one of them. Neil Mopai was one of them. Um, I, you know, I, Danny Welbeck, three shots, one on target, two key passes. Yes, he was fine, you know, putting the ball about. Again, Neil Mopai, three shots, three key passes. Again, he was fine um, in terms of, you know, the numbers themselves. But when you look at the chances they had, you know, none of them sit there. You don't look at any of them and go, he should have scored that because they just, they held on to it too long or they made the wrong decision or they played the pass at the wrong time. Um, And, you know, it, it hurt them. Mopai had the highest XG in the team, uh, and that was a 0.24. Danny Welbeck, 0.19. You know, it's it's not like they were all over the place. Um, in terms of, 
you know, once again, shouting out Basuma, he also had the highest XA. So uh, expected assists. He was leading the way there with his key passes. Um, he he was playing some great football tonight. Uh, Basuma is, you know, undoubtedly my man of the match. I don't think there's any uh, discussion otherwise. I, I just couldn't. Uh, it's it's the easiest job in the world to pick Basuma as man of the match today. Lalana. I thought was good. Um, and, and really how, how good is a fully fit Lalana these days? Uh, you know, he, he contributed greatly Two tackles, two interceptions, you know, so defensively he was doing his job very well. Indeed. Uh, offensively, he was doing just as much. Yeah. You know, four shots, one on target. Uh, he actually had the joint most shots in the team uh, alongside Moda and, and Trossard. Um, he was, he had three key passes. Um, he was, all over the place um, and, and did a really good job. I think that having Lalana fit and playing full games has been such a huge benefit to us um, that I, I can see why we struggle so much without him. Um, and it's even easier to see why we struggle so much without him when we keep seeing him play game after game now and not taking time out. Um, but again, Potter in terms of game management um, I wasn't upset with the starting lineup. I wasn't upset with the tactics. I wasn't upset with just about anything, really. I think he did a good job. Even even waiting until later on uh, to bring on the subs, I wasn't too upset by. Um, you know, we continued to get into the ascendancy. We continued to get better and better. And I can understand him keeping the faith with the players that are out there in the hopes that we're going to, you know, eventually find a way through. Um Unfortunately for me, though, I do think he left it a little bit too late. Um, you know, 86 minutes on the clock with just two minutes of added time, which is amazing, by the way. Two minutes of added on time in a Premier League game, at, you know, for the 90th minute onwards. I don't think I've seen that in ages. That just goes to show how utterly uneventful the entire game was itself. Um, you know, these podcasts are usually around 30 minutes. Uh maybe an hour if I have guests on, um, which is something that, as I said, I'm, I'm going to be trying to get pushed through again once we get to Sheffield United, um, once we get back to those actual weekend games instead of midweek. But it's, it's you know, I, I sat there after the game and I thought, you know, I've got my notes of like stuff that happened in the week and I was like, there's nothing. Nothing happened in the week. Um, it's been a very quiet week at the Albion. You know, the under-23s game was okay. Um you know, they battered Southampton, um, but but nothing came out of there as like, oh, like that's must talk. Um, Moises Caicedo was superb. Um, but, you know, I got to the end of today and I'm like, what is there to talk about? It was the most Carlo Ancelotti performance I've seen in, in it forever. Um, it was the most classic Italian defensive masterclass that you could ask for. He put five men at the back. He basically did like a, it, for those of you that play video games, he basically did like a FIFA uh, formation of that five at the back and park the bus and hope to catch us on the counter attack. Um, that, that's essentially what he did. And it obviously didn't work, um, but he got himself a point out of it. And I think that for most people, including myself, I expected a bit more of a lively game because he was so good. Um, or rather Everton have been so good away from home. Um, they're top four, you know, on in the, you know, you can do like tables and you have like home table, away table. Um, in the away table, they're top four. Um, 
if they would have won tonight, they would have gone second in that table. Uh, if they would have won their two kind of away games in hand, um, they would have been one point, one point uh, behind Manchester City as the as the best team away from home. So you know, I, I came into tonight expecting a real scrap. I expected them to be coming at us, to be lively, to be dangerous, and to cause us problems. Um, I watched them against Palace last week, and I thought, you know, if this is the team that we play, it's going to be a, it's going to be an entertaining, very open game, um, and it was the exact opposite you know we we had nothing going on um it was very dull it was very boring um but you know it was an incredibly important point now the one thing i would have liked to have seen change uh, is make those subs a little bit earlier uh, as opposed to 86 minutes you know get them on at 78 79 if you want to leave it late um and and make those subs a little bit different um for me uh, I can understand the Dan Burn sub. A lot of people were very, very upset uh, about the Dan Burn sub, um, but I can understand it. And I'll tell you why I understand it, because I think that this was Potter's uh, logic when he did it. Um, he wanted to bring Veltman to the right-hand side um, and allow him to play a wing-back role. Um, and they wanted to, he also wanted to allow Moda uh, to, not Moda, that's wrong, um, to allow he wanted to allow Veltman to go to the right-hand side, Burn to slip in on the left, and then to go to a four at the back and to push forward other players that hadn't been further forward. And it, I understood it. I just didn't think it worked. And I'll tell you why. Because Alarez Yahambach wasn't the other man you wanted coming on. Um, you know, I don't understand that substitution. I said it last week, and I said it the week before, I feel like, but... If you're looking for a goal or an impact, why why are you bringing him on? You have Alexis McAllister, uh, who can pick a pass very well indeed. This is a defense that needed to be unlocked. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a defense that needed to be unlocked. Um, and Alexis McAllister could have done that a lot better than Ali Razor could have. Uh, we've got David Proper, who is also very good um, at kind of breezing through defenses late on um he's done it a couple of times when he's came on as a substitute he you know he's created good clear-cut opportunities we have Andy Zakiri uh, who is you know all over it you know we could have brought him on um to play some kind of offensive role uh we have Alzate on the bench as well um you know he's perfectly capable of doing something like that too and, and then of course I've already had a conversation on Twitter about it a little bit but but Jose Izquierdo um that's the that's the weirdest one for me. Um, I've seen it. Here's my thing: Why are we? Why are we waste wasting his time at Albion at the minute? If we and I said this exact thing on Twitter: If we're not going to play him to avoid paying that money to Bruges, because that's what I've heard is that we have like a clause that if he plays one more game or makes one more appearance, we owe them money. If that's the case, why are we wasting a bench space on him? We had some players that had a really, really good game against for the under-23s a couple of days ago. Um, he's not even getting under-23 game time. So why are we not giving him... Why are we wasting his time on the bench if we're never going to play him in a game like today when you were crying out for someone to make a big difference offensively? Um, and if you're not going to play him, why are you not giving him a chance to at least continue to get match time for the under-23s? And 
a lot of the responses I got, I understand it, but I don't understand it. Just because he's on the bench doesn't mean he's going to get on the pitch. Well, then why have we got him on the bench? We've done that with other players this season. It keeps them from, it keeps them feeling part of the setup. No, we don't do that with other players. What we do is we do that for those very young youth prospects that look like they could have a great future with us. To me, it looks like his Kyoto is going to have no part in this team and will be gone at the end of the year or you know, in a couple of weeks even. That's two totally different things. If you're going to be given a youngster, like when we had McGill on the bench as a goalkeeper or a couple of the other times we've had a random youth player on the bench, keep them feeling a part of the setup. Give them an understanding of what it's like to train with that senior team and prepare with the senior team for match day because these are players that in three or four years' time could be consistent starters. In two years' time, they could be, you know, cup players and, and making a real appearance in the Albion's setup. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with them being on the bench. They're a decent talent. There's a good idea of keeping them on the bench for the future. There's a good way of, you know, like you said, giving them preparation for what it looks like. If Izquierdo isn't going to be here next year and we're not going to play him this year, that that logic doesn't apply. And if he isn't fit and he's too injury prone, then we shouldn't be putting him on the bench anyway. And, you know, I, I am a self-admitted is Kiedo Stan, so, so I am more bothered about it than most. But why are we, it just seems like the strangest man management of anything. Um, I don't, I don't get it. And to me, I, you know, it's just, why not give it to somebody like Cashman? Cashman was great this week in the under 23s. Put him on the bench. Why not? Like he's at least he could be around in a couple of months' time, and like Isquiedo or Andone, if he was still fit, why would you want to waste time? Um, you know, to me, that's my thing. Basuma today, again, man of the match. I, I think it just continues to assure me that he's not going to be here next year. He's too good. He's just too good now. Uh, there's no way that half the teams in the top half don't know all about him. They are going to be all over him. Um, in the summer, and I think we're going to get paid an awful lot of money for him, to be honest. Um, and, and you know, final line on the game itself, we played fine. We never looked greatly like scoring, and neither did they. And I think that after the last couple of games, right, Southampton, we got that win. Newcastle, we hammered them 3-0. Manchester United, we played well enough uh, that, you know, the defeat was harsh. And a lot of people were very high on our striking options. I think today was a good, timely reality check uh, that brought along a valuable point. We needed the draw. But I think it was a good reality check for those of you who feel very confident and very happy uh, with going forward with Welbeck and Mopai next year, that that is not a duo that are Premier League quality enough to keep us comfortably in the Premier League. To me, I thought both were way subpar today. And I'm not picking on one in particular. I think both were poor. And that should be a big message to the team in general and the club and the board and the recruitment team watching it. This is not a strike group that that is capable of taking us to the next level like you want them to. Um, things need to continue to go ahead with, with stepping up recruitment desperately in the summer. If we stay up, you know, I felt like, 
I feel like signing a striker has been the number one priority since we went up because Glenn Murray was not getting any younger. Uh, we've had a few swings and misses with Andone, with Licardia. Um, Mopai has not been the, a swing and a miss in the same way because, you know, he scored double figures last year. And and if he'd have been slightly more clinical on a penalty spot, he would have had double figures this year. But he's not the man that we need. Um, and, and you know, I don't think that – I think he needs to play alongside someone. Um, and Welbeck is not that man that I think he needs to be playing alongside. Um season itself that's a huge point wasn't the greatest result in terms of the way we played but i think it's a huge point you know that puts us on 33 points now we're back onto 15th above burnley on goal difference which is such a huge difference for us you know we are way ahead of everybody else on goal difference we're on minus five the five teams pull up well I was going to say the five teams below us, but I'm not even going to give Sheffield United that privilege. Uh, the teams below us that could possibly catch us. Uh, Burnley, minus 17. Newcastle, minus 19. Fulham, minus 18. And West Bromwich Albion, minus 31. Yeah, we have some tough games coming up as our final kind of six or seven to go. But, I, you know, I would be baffled if we're ending up somewhere around that minus 18 mark. I, I can't see it. And... You know, that that point puts us on 33. I still stand by the fact that 38 is the golden goose kind of thing. That's the one we want to be aiming for at all times. Uh, but the more the, the, the games go on, and I've done a couple of those like Premier League predictor things now where you start like putting in results you think are going to happen and you see what the table looks like at the end. And for the most part, you know, I, I'm not seeing teams, I'm not seeing the team in 18th, whoever that ends up being getting more than 35 uh which brings us two points away from that safety mark uh and we still have Sheffield United to play away from home which is a big one because that's that game in hand that we have on Fulham no reason to think we can't get that result Fulham's running is brutal they're now the team that we obviously need to be looking at to be the one that gets totally cut adrift their next two are both away days, uh, both London away days uh, at Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, and then they have slightly two nicer fixtures with uh, Burnley and Southampton. Uh, and then they end up finishing with Manchester United and Newcastle. Even if you are being your most generous to Fulham, like super generous, say they take a point against Arsenal, they lose to Chelsea, they beat Fulham at Burnley. So that's four points. They beat Southampton, that's seven. They lose to Manchester United, and they beat Newcastle. So say they do that, which is outrageous. You know, I can't see them getting that kind of result, but that's the kindest of the kind. That puts them on 36 points, and we're three away from that already. We're very close. I think one more win absolutely cements safety for us, and I think we can get it against Sheffield United in two weeks' time. The games this week to look for, Manchester United play Burnley, Newcastle United play West Ham, and Arsenal are at home to Fulham. Three games for the teams below us that are very, very tough to get results from. You know, it's not it, they're not games that I sit there and think, oh, got to be worried about them turning up and, and taking a whole bunch of points. Um, 38 is my magic number. 36 is the one that I think is the realistic one in terms of what they're going to be getting. 
Boca Junior uh, in the chat has just said we could have enough points already, uh, but 35 would definitely be enough. I, I agree with you. You know, even at my most, most, most generous, uh, if Fulham were to win three and draw one of their last five, six, you know, that's that's insane. They haven't done that all year and they're still only going to be at 36. Um, so, yeah, I think that we're well on our way. Um, and I think, you know, in two weeks' time, we could be talking about proper planning for next season. I am very much on the conservative side of not counting our chickens till they've hatched. Uh, but I feel like we are getting closer and closer to being able to have that conversation about what we want to look for next season. Uh, because I think that we are so close now. Um, and that's about it. Uh, I will be net back on Tuesday of next week for the Chelsea game. Same kind of, same time, same place. Um, I will also be online sometime during the week just to play some video games. Um, and, you know, this podcast schedule is super weird with the games that are being played. Uh, we will be back to normality, thank God, uh, with all these Mondays and Tuesdays and random like eight-day interludes. Uh, we will be back to normality uh, in a couple of weeks' time on the 24th of April with Sheffield United on a Saturday. That's exactly what we want to see. Huge game for us. That could be the one where we secure safety and move on. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this podcast will drop in the early hours of tomorrow, UK time. Um, and yeah, I will see you later in the week on video games. Or I will see you all next week uh, for Chelsea Review. Hopefully, we have something slightly more to talk about uh, so we're not kind of just baffled as to how boring it was. So yeah, have a good one uh, and we will see you all next week.